Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good morning, Lake Church. Hallelujah. Well, we have a very special guest with us, and we're honored to have him in the house, and uh, a great blessing uh, to the body of Christ for many years, has traveled the world over, and uh, praise the Lord, we're blessed to have him here. I encourage you to visit his resource table out uh, at the foyer there or the commons area and get all the materials. They'll be well worth your time and energy. So let's give a warm Lake Church welcome to John George. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor. I was here 10 years ago, and I'm going to come in 2032, because I'm going to come every 10 years, whether you invite me or not. It's an honor to be back here. Wow, what a nice uh, advance from the room next door. Isn't it something how you packed all that in for years, and now you have some space? But actually, this is too small. Now, Pastor and I haven't talked about this, but this is too small. I heard it when I walked in this morning. Get ready. Get ready. God is doing some things in these last days. He's not coming after a woke, broke church. He's coming after a glorious church, a powerful church. He's coming after a strong church. You know, when the trump blows, there's not only going to be a trump blast, there's going to be a shout. He's not coming secretly. Well, what about it? Uh, what about in, in the night? In the th as a thief in the night, blah blah blah. Two different things. The rapture is a whole different thing. He's coming in the clouds with a shout with the archangel. Come on, to catch away the saints. And I, you know, I, I I get in Latin America a lot. I've been all the Latin American countries in Mexico fifty times. I've been in all the Central American countries numerous times. Been in uh, most all of the South American countries. And, the, and they, they have something called every year, it's a Catholic fo following. It's, a, it's, it's primarily the Catholic church. And it, it, you see it in pockets in the United States as well. New Orleans, you see it. You see it on the East Coast. You see it on the West Coast. It's called Day of the Dead. How many have heard of it? Day of the Dead. Where they dress up. It, it, it's, it's, it's not Halloween, but it looks worse than Halloween. Because they dress up as dead people. Isn't it amazing, you know, uh, my mom, bless her heart, didn't know any better, should have known, but she just wasn't taught and living right at the time, but the very first drive-in movie that I remember as a little boy, I was four years old, five years old, and uh, we didn't have a car. We were, our parents had separated, we didn't have a car, but we had lawn chairs, and we lived, a, this was in Fort Worth, we lived a quarter of a mile from the drive-in movie theater. And it, we, that was in the middle of town. And we lived in the projects in North Fort Worth where there are no more gringos. <laughs> we were one of the few gringos remaining there. But we went to the drive-in theater and I didn't, I didn't care, I didn't know anything about it, but I just thought, wow, how cool it would be to go to the drive-in theater. 
but we don't have a car, so we had lawn chairs, and my mom had taught my brother and I how to pop popcorn. We had this big uh, pressure cooker, but we just didn't use the lid. We poured grease in there and then filled it up and filled it up several times, pop popcorn, and filled up two big uh, grocery bags, you know, not plastic back then. I'm talking about, you know, 1960, 62, 63. Uh, some of you, that was long before you discovered America. <laughs> so we had these grocery bags full of greasy popcorn. So they were greasy bags. You had to double bag them. It wasn't for soda bottles. It was, it was for grease because, we, you know, you, it wasn't going to last very long. And then we, we made Kool-Aid in a thermos. And so... We got up there and we're in line behind all these cars. And a car would move through the gate and then we'd move up a little bit. The car would move through the gate, we'd move up a little bit. And the sign says $3 a car. Well, as was typical, there was a teenager working the gate, working the, the booth, it's just a small booth that night. And he says, well, where's your car? And my mom said, we don't have a car. And he says, well, it's $3 a car, so y'all don't have a car, so I, I guess I'm just going to let you in free. <laughs> that, that sounds like the teenager at the drive through window at McDonald's right now that, that can't make change without a computer. God bless young people. But the movie was Night of the Living Dead. It is the benchmark movie for all the, the, the trash that's on TV today. Walking Dead, Living Dead, you know, all these uh, ghoul movies and all these zombie movies. You know, Night of the Living Dead probably had a $15,000 budget. It was the cheesiest, sorriest acting and, and, and no... no, no no special effects whatsoever. It was just so, so poorly done. And it's still shown on television every Halloween. It's bizarre. But my, my point in saying that is our world has morphed into worshiping the dead and honoring and yielding to the dead. Come on, somebody. So think about the rapture. You're well taught here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it talks about who's going to rise first? The dead in Christ, right? God has a sense of humor. It wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put it past him that on the annual day of the dead, when all those millions of people are in cemeteries, I'm talking about, you know, live people. And the trump blows that those graves are going to open up. And real dead people are now alive and going to get caught up in the sky. And then we're right behind them. Folks, he's not coming secretively. He's coming with great power and authority and victory. And he's not coming after a church that's not looking for him. He's coming after a church that is looking for him. A church that has a hunger for him. Come on, somebody. Amen. Now, I could get real excited about that and talk about that for weeks. But I, I better go on. And before I do, 
there's some materials out there on the table. As Pastor said, uh, if you can't get anything else, get this mini book written by a friend of ours in Little Rock. It's called Confessions for Raising Winning Kids. There's 50, over 50 confessions and scriptures. Uh, there's Bible scriptures right in this book that you don't even have to have a Bible next to it. You, they're, all, they're all King James Version. All these scriptures are something that you can confess over your children. We need to be washing our children with the water of the word. We need to be speaking the word over our kids, our grandkids. I've got two children, seven grandchildren. I believe in speaking the word over them. This is something that we do on a regular basis. This is $3. And uh, this is the best $3 you ever spent. But if you can't afford $3, I'll give you one of these. Even though I had to buy them, I, I buy them by the case, 725 at a time. And we buy, we buy a case every two months. That's how many we go through. We're the number one buyer of these books around the world. And we do it on purpose because it's such a great tool and resource that we can help people with. But if you can't afford this, I'll give you one. I'll pay the $3 for you. Now, if you go out of here and you go buy a $5 coffee at Starbucks or somewhere, Ananias, I pray that Sapphira pukes up her coffee <laughs> all over your floorboard. So don't lie. If you lie, you fry. Well, how can you say that? I didn't. The, the book says it. Amen. This is our newest series, and it came after 2020. Formidable faith in the last days. There are two things we discovered about the church of Jesus Christ in 2020. The level of fear and who the remnant church is. The church that's unafraid, the church that's fearless. There are churches that still haven't reopened. There are churches that will now never reopen. There are churches in my city of Texas where even though our governor and state attorney general sent us emails and letters and said the church in Texas is essential, do not close. Told us not to close. Even though the shutdown was for the whole state, for all kinds of government facilities, schools, et cetera, et cetera, do not close. Churches are essential. We were the only church that did not shut down out of 76 churches. I'm disgusted by that. I'm disgusted that in Texas, when they told us that churches were essential, most people thought that their church was not essential enough to stay open. They didn't shut down Walmart. They didn't shut down Lowe's or Home Depot. They didn't shut down Reesers. Come on. My point is, I'm not slamming anybody except the devil. And the woke church that was is so fearful. Now, I know Oklahoma had, you know, you have a good governor, different things, different things, but our governor said, don't shut down. But everybody did. And many haven't reopened. And many have struggled in all kinds of areas since then. Why? Because they don't have Bible faith. That's what is that formidable faith. Formidable faith is Bible faith. Formidable means strong. It means powerful. It even means intimidating to the enemy. I would like to teach this here today, but the Lord has a different assignment for me. But somebody over here like to have this? Anybody at all? Brother, can I throw it at you? Good catch. Good catch. The Phillies could have used you this week. <clears throat> I just came from Philadelphia or, or Pennsylvania. 
This is called the language of faith. This is our second newest series. You know that there's, there's a vernacular and a terminology in the word of God that you must learn if you're gonna walk by faith. Think of all the vocations, all the, all the jobs, all the careers that are represented in this room. And every one of your jobs, no matter what it is, no matter how seemingly insignificant your job is, you cannot be successful if you don't have a proper vernacular. Any, anybody glad that last time you went into the dentist or, the, or, the, or surgery, you did not hear somebody say, hey, can you give me the thingamajig that goes on the whatchamacallit? <laughs> anybody glad you didn't hear that in surgery? That's the last thing you wanna hear. But for some reason, even though we know that terminology is important in every field of life, every single field, everyone, when it comes to the things of God, ah, if God wants me blessed and healed, he knows where I live. That's like saying your banker that has access to your financial records, when he sees your account go low, he's just gonna fill it up. There's a vernacular to faith. It's Jesus talk. Doesn't matter what version it is, it's Jesus talk. Somebody over here like to have this. All right, throw it at you. Good catch. So take advantage of that stuff out there. There's stuff a little bit for everybody. Turn in your Bible, if you would, to Romans. And we'll see if you're led to the right chapter. Now, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, which is extremely, Pastor Greg knows this very well, it's extremely difficult to ever get out of Romans 8 once you get into it. But I'm, I'm going to cherry pick a few scriptures that, that are going to work for us tonight, today. But uh, first of all, I found something on the internet, you know, so it must be true. <laughs> and it says, how to wash a cat. <laughs> how many of you are cat people? God bless you. Some of you are unash- you're ashamed to lift your hand. How many of you are dog people? Okay. How many of you are cat and dog people? The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. <laughs> so how to wash a cat. Number one, put both lids of the toilet seat up and add an eighth of a cup of pet shampoo in the water in the bowl. Number two, pick up your cat, soothe him while you carry him towards the restroom. Number three, in one smooth movement, put the cat in the toilet and close the lid as quickly as you can. You may need to sit or stand on the lid. (laughs) Number four is my favorite. At this point, the cat will (laughs) self-agitate and make ample suds. Never mind the noises that come from the toilet. The cat is actually enjoying this. (laughs) Number five, flush the toilet three or four times. This provides a power wash and rinse. Number six, have someone open the front door and be sure that there are no people between the bathroom and the front door. Number seven, stand well back 
behind the toilet as far as you can and quickly lift the lid. Number eight, the cat will rocket out of the toilet, streak through the bathroom, run outside where he will dry himself off. Number nine, both, in the, both the toilet and the cat will be sparkling clean. <laughs> Sincerely yours, the dog. What I want to talk to you about today is I believe in in 44 years of full-time ministry, I know I don't look a day over 50, but I am. I'm several days over 50, in fact. But I believe this topic and this truth is the single most important fundamental of our walk with God. Number one, of course, is to be born again. But I'm talking about as a believer, I believe this topic is the single most important, vital, necessary, fundamental of our walk. Now, people don't get excited about fundamentals. Got any OSU fans here? You're going to admit it? What did, what did Coach Gundy say last week after, the, after that shellacking? What did he say? He apologized. He said, I tried something new. It's my fault. I tried something new. Because it was the time of the, you know, kind of the downhill swing of the season, and they're nicked up, he decided not to block or tackle all week in his practices. That's what he said. And they came out flat. And the number one scoring offense in the Big 12 laid an egg, a goose egg, a big, fat, zero goose egg, averaging 41 points a game, and they didn't score a point, not even a field goal. Think about that now. Think about that. Why? because they stopped doing the fundamentals of football. The fundamentals of football are simple, blocking and tackling. That's why every year for the last 40 years, I've predicted every Super Bowl winner. It's the team that blocks and tackles the best. It's easy math. It's not sexy. It's not glamorous. Nobody shows up each week to watch people block and tackle with a TV camera. They show up to see the quarterback throw this beautiful spiral and the receiver run down the field and catch this great pass. That's what they show. That's the glamour. It's not glamorous in the trenches. It's ugly. That's why they call them big uglies. I played at the high school where they wrote the book and the movie, and now it's a TV series called Friday Night Lights. Odessa Permian, Odessa, Texas, Permian High School. My home stadium hosts 28,000 people. That's high school. That's not a college stadium. That's high school. You know, they always talk about jinx and talk about union and broken arrow. 
Those are junior high stadiums in, in my town. Football is huge in Texas. I sat next to a player that was my grade. And next to me sat Barry Switzer, recruiting this guy. And everybody came and recruited him. And they recruited a lot of us, and I played Division I ball three years. But we, we won state in 1972, again, before many of you discovered America. We were 15-0. and 0. We only had 31 points scored against us in 15 games. And it was all because of the fundamentals. We were fundamentally sound. We had college-level coaches in high school, and we were fundamentally sound. Well, Switzer did recruit that guy to OU, and he is still, all these years later, he's still the leading tackler at Oklahoma University from the 70s. When I told my wife that, she said, he's still playing? <laughs> so the most fundamental aspect of the game of football is still blocking and tackling. The team that's won the most Super Bowls, it was tied with the Cowboys and the Raiders. They each have five. Then the Steelers had five, and then now they have six. But now the Patriots are the, are the modern team. God bless you. Somebody lay hands on that guy. Not suddenly, but just lay hands on him. But I noticed something, because I still watch this stuff and learn from it. Bill Belichick, even though they started out in group practices, they call them OTAs, in May, where all the team, you know, all, throughout, throughout the offseason, the team gets in there randomly. They don't have any organized activities, but they have... Every, the facilities are open for the weight rooms, the agility skills, those kinds of things. But it's, it's optional because it's a, it's a professional sport and you don't get paid during the offseason. That might surprise you. You don't get paid during the offseason. You only get paid during the season. You get paid on Sunday afternoon after your game. College players get paid Saturday. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> but in the offseason, pro players don't get paid. So you have to really want to work out. There used to be a complete offseason where guys would have to go get jobs. You talk about Roger Staubach and different ones. That the reason he's a successful entrepreneur and, and land developer and stuff now is because he learned real estate when he in the offseason. Because even, even here, Roger the Dodger... He had to get a second job in the offseason because they didn't pay very much during the season. So he didn't have time to work out like that. So he played basketball. So today, these players have to want to be there. And what are they working on? Their fundamentals. And in July, when training camp starts, now it's nonstop from July to February, if you make it that far in the playoffs. It's nonstop, and every single day, you practice blocking and tackling. Now think about this. Belichick is the only one that maintains that. 
One of the reasons Jason Garrett got fired from the Cowboys because he didn't win any playoff games. Why didn't he win playoff games? They had skilled players. They had Romo. They had all these, Des Bryant from OSU. They had all these great, great players. Why didn't they win these games? Because he thought you could just flip a switch. In other words, he was going to rest his players at the end of the season to supposedly save them for the playoffs. But then he thought he could just flip the switch back on when the game started. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way for Christians either. You can't just flip a switch on Sunday and then flip it back off Sunday night and then flip it back on next Sunday. You will not be an overcoming Christian. You will not be what we sang about. You will not be that overcomer. You'll be an underachiever. You'll be a survivor instead of an overcomer. Instead of being more than a conqueror, you'll be less than a lot of things. So let's be who we're supposed to be by practicing the fundamentals every single day of our lives. Belichick doesn't rest his starters. They keep playing. Why? Because they'll lose that momentum. And I thought Gundy would have been smarter than that. There he is, has the chance to win the, win the Big 12, to, to really do well, and what, what's happened? They've lost three in a row. And they're not going to compete for the championship. But yet they have the team to do it because of a mentality that he should have known better than to do. You can't just flip a switch on and off. Why? Because momentum is a very serious issue in every area of, of your life. You just stop prayer for a week and it makes it very difficult to get back into a flow of prayer. I could just go on and on about these areas. So the most fundamental thing as a believer, as a born again believer, that's the most important thing. But what do we do then? We've got to understand and grow in our identity in Christ. Let me, let me be really frank with you. I'll be Pastor Frank for a moment. Be really frank with you. The devil has been horrible at restricting the name of Christ going around the world. The name of Christ is known everywhere, except in a few remote jungles in the Amazon and Africa and places, some of the places I've been. It's very, but they've made Jesus films in, in over 240 something languages and they've taken them to all these remote places. They've dropped them in on parachute because they couldn't get, there's no roads into these places. There's no place to land an aircraft. And they've dropped in these people by parachute with a Jesus film, with batteries to show and a screen or just a sheet that they could tack up and they've shown these Jesus films in these dialects that are so remote that nobody even understands the language except the Wycliffe Bible translators. So they've heard the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is used every day, billions of times, in good ways and in bad ways. Most people in America use his name in vain. Nobody says, oh, Buddha, Hare Krishna. 
Muhammad. Nobody says that. Why? Because there's no power in those names. There's no authority in those names. So the enemy uses the name of Jesus in vain because he's trying to discredit the authority that's in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. That's why he does it. So the devil's been terrible at restricting the name of Jesus. So what, is he, what has he done? He's perverted it. But he's been extremely successful in this area. He's been extremely successful in restricting the body of Christ and knowing who they are in Christ. I'll prove it to you. When you hear people say, I'm so unworthy. I don't deserve this. I'm just a sinner. You don't know who you are in Christ when you say those things. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a believer. I don't even refer to myself as a Christian anymore. Why? Because it's become so watered down, it's so political. And it's only used twice in the New Testament. I'm a follower of Christ. That's used dozens and dozens of times. What did Jesus say to those disciples? He said, hey, fella, come hang out with me. No, he said, follow me. Jesus said in John 12, if you want to serve me, follow me. I'm a follower. That's very descriptive now. That's very descriptive. Christian people will turn you off. Why? Because they've seen in the world how goofy that, that word has become. The word Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his title, the anointed one. So the word Christian literally means little anointed ones. 74% of Americans, I, I study these stats all the time. I get them on a regular basis. 74% of Americans still perceive themselves and look at themselves as Christians. I don't believe that 74% of Americans are little anointed ones. Do you? Have you found Romans 8 yet? Look at verse 29. It says, and we know, say we know. We know. We know. Not might know. Not someday, if God be willing, the creek don't rise. No, no. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. That scripture, that's verse 28, excuse me. That scripture is abused and misused on a regular basis. It's not, you can't cherry pick that verse. You gotta look, you gotta look at the previous statements all the way back to chapter six, where it's talking about a person who's walking with God, living for God, and praying in the Holy Ghost. All things in your life don't work together for good. Come on. It's just like the saying that people often use. I posted this on social media recently. Some of you follow me on social media. I don't know what's wrong with the rest of you, but um, I'm kidding. But people have this statement, not only in the world, but in the church. Well, 
There's a reason for everything. Everything has a reason. But in reality, there's a reason everything happens, but everything doesn't happen for a reason. If we were to look at the law of harvest, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap, Galatians chapter 6. We see that things happen because of seed because of what we sow or what we allow to be sown in our lives, right? You know, I've been in, in October I was in seven states, in September I was in five states, this month I'll be in four states. I've been all through the Midwest, I've been to New York uh, this week, the, excuse me, the, in the last few weeks, um, Pennsylvania, uh, Florida, but you get up in the Midwest and go up into Iowa and the Great Lakes states. It was in Wisconsin and Minnesota recently in September. And you get in these rolling hills and this corn and beans and beans and corn up there in the Midwest. But these beautiful, beautiful fields. And there is, there is, no, there is no cross-pollinization. You don't see... Soybeans growing on a corn stalk. You don't see ears of corn growing over there in the bean field. What you see is there on purpose because of what's been sown into that field. I live in the number one ag producing county in the state of Texas. And every major seed company in America is in my county. Every major university in Texas has a presence, they all have greenhouses. And they're studying crops. They're trying to make drought resistant, bug resistant, higher yield crops. And so what do they do? They join those crops together and they study them and they have test plots and they have all kinds of, of scientists and agronomists that work in those facilities. It's a high dollar business. I'll get into more detail about that later, but, but we don't see that. So what happens in our lives, there's a reason it happens. But it doesn't happen for a reason. Amen. Did you follow that? I'm not trying to, to, to use word salad. I'm not the vice president. But anyway, <laughs> Shonda. Anyway, by the way, I'm John George, and I approve this message. <laughs> but... There is a reason this stuff happens. It's called the law of harvest, seed time and harvest. It doesn't matter who we are. Even God himself, he reaps what he sows. I'm so glad we sang that song earlier, and, and, and you, you, you made these great statements after praise and worship. We're supposed to be doing this and living this on purpose and not just on Sundays or Wednesdays. We're supposed to be living our life unto him and for his glory. And there's not one scripture in your New Testament that says to pray a prayer 
for Jesus' sakes. He didn't do one thing for himself. He did it all for us. And that's what we sing. He did it all for us. He did what he did for us. He didn't have to do what he did. He, did, he didn't need what he did. We needed what he did. We needed what he had. He already had this. And he gave it to us. That's why John, the only first Baptist, Let that sink in a minute. In Odessa, Texas, there's an 11th Baptist. Talk about confusing. You know, I, I never like losing, so bless God, I will never go to even second Baptist. But John, the only first Baptist, he came and said, repent. What does that mean? Change, change your mind, change your way of thinking. There's a new sheriff coming to town. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's not a capital H and it's not talking about the third heaven where God resides. It's talking about the heavenlies, the, the sky. What did he say? It's the same message Jesus did. Jesus actually, that was Matthew three. Jesus in Matthew four, after he got filled with the Holy Spirit, got baptized in the river by John, and then baptized in the Holy Ghost, and got Holy Ghost without measure, where God spoke over him, this is my son who, with whom I am well pleased, right? You, you remember reading about this. I almost said, you remember that? None of you are that old. But, so, what did he say next? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus plagiarized John the Baptist. It's from the same Holy Spirit. We as pastors and ministers, we get accused all the way. Well, you're just, you're just an echo of Brother Doodad. No, 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 no. It's the same Holy Spirit talking to us. It's the same Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Word. He's the Word made flesh, but it's the same Holy Spirit that's delivering these messages and these words to us. And it's, it's not personal. It's factual. It's, an, it's important. It's vital. So what I want you to see is this. When Jesus came and he said, and John the Baptist said the same thing, he's saying the way you've been worshiping God to date is no longer current. It's obsolete. You're going to have to understand something completely different. And then he went on to not only teach, but to reveal and model what we're supposed to be living like. God could have redeemed mankind with teenage Jesus. Child Jesus. But Jesus lived through all the levels of life into mature adulthood in victory, in faith, come on, to model how a man, a woman should live on this dirt ball. We have exactly the same demons he dealt with. There are no new demons being manufactured in hell. It's all the same ones. The devil has no new tricks. They're exactly the same tricks over and over again. Yeah, they're packaged and they look a little different, but they're, same, they're the same tricks. Look at verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. If you guys could put that up in the Amplified on the screen in verse 29. I, I want you to see what, he, what he's communicating to us. The Amplified helps us understand this a little deeper, a little more understanding, because it, it describes something very detailed. The, so the, the first part of it, please. It says, for those who he foreknew and of whom he was aware and loved beforehand. So God loved you before not only you were you, but before there was even a planet. He knew you. How did he know you? In the spirit. You see, in the spirit, there are no chronological ages. There are no calendars, no time frames. And he knew He's the only true know-it-all. The Bible says, Old and New Testament, that God knows all things. He's the only know-it-all. So he foreknew us, and he destined from the beginning, foreordaining them. Now watch this. He destined from the beginning. Why? Because he's the creator. You see, when you're the creator of something, you create that item's destiny. Everyone in this room, everyone on this campus, even the youngest baby has made something. Maybe not fashioned it with their hands as a baby, but they've made something in their mind. They've seen something. They have visions and they see things. Why? Because we're creating the image and likeness of God. We're not the creator, but we are procreators. We are made in his image and after his likeness. We're made like him. And I know you're well taught in this church, but I hear this all the time. Well, I'm just so sad that my friend died, but thank God that they've become an angel in heaven. They would have to step down to become an angel in heaven. Angels are not creating the image of God. We are creating the image of God. And his likeness, his personality, angels don't have that. Angels are not creators. God's a creator and we're a procreator. We have the ability to create things and fashion things and make things and get an imagination and, and angels don't have that capacity. Well, what about that scripture over in Psalms where David said, we're made a little lower than the angels. It's a mistranslation of the King James. You look it up in the Hebrew and it says Elohim. We're made in the likeness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's the same word used in Genesis 1:26. And let us make man in our image, Elohim. We're made in the image of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Again, that's why the devil makes fun of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. Amen. Movies make fun of it. TV personalities make fun of, of, of those icons and the Trinity. They make fun of it. And, and misled preachers, you know, uh, you know, preach heresies about it. But we're made in the image and likeness of God. We're, we're his creation. And it says, he foreknew us. And he foreordained that we be made into the what? You can put that back up. Into the image of his son. The image. To be molded into the image. You can look at the next screen, the next part into the image of his son. Notice the, his, capital H, and son is capital. We're made of the image of Jesus himself. You see, Jesus came to earth as a man. 
He was fully God and he was fully man, but he came to the, he came to the earth as a man. God came to earth beforehand. We know, we know that he showed his hinder parts to Moses, but he didn't come as a man. Jesus came as a man. Why? Because he had to come in the flesh to redeem flesh. Because Adam's sin was a sin of not only the spirit, but a sin of the, in the flesh. And so Jesus had to come in the flesh. Again, you're well taught here. I know, I know you are. But that's why it had to happen that way. And we're created in his image and after his likeness. We're foreordained to be in that image. Now watch this. Every one of us in this room has made something. Tonight I want to spend some time with my, my two youngest grandchildren who live in Tulsa, Jerusalem. And the, the, the granddaughter, she's six. The, the, the grandson is four, just turned four. And little girls, they stay in the lines of their drawing and stuff, and they see things differently. Why? Because their right brain is extremely developed, even at birth. Little boys' right brain is not quite developed fully. And so that's why they do this. Not only that... The connection between the right brain and their fingers hasn't developed properly. The right nerves and skills have not developed, and that's why little boys don't stay between the lines. It's not because they have a, have a deficiency. It's because they has, that hasn't yet to be developed. And just so you ladies don't get haughty about that, the left brain side of the boy is already developed, the left brain side of the girl is not developed, and some never develop it. Now, that's, that's fact. Now, you can, you can build that, but my point is, I'll go in and I'll see. The first thing, you, you know this, even when my children were young and I'd come home from the office, I'd come home off of a trip, they'd want to show me what they drew. They'd want to show me, you know, what they built while I was gone. My grandkids now... The first thing they do when we show up at their home, doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter how old they are, they want to take us to their room and show us what they've made. They do the same thing for you, right? They want to show you what they've built, what they've drawn, what they've colored or whatever. And so I'll look at Quincy's and I'll say, he's, he's the four-year-old, Quincy, wow, that's an amazing bear. I'm, that's a big guess, but I, I'm doing the best I can. He says, they all call me Papa John. Papa John, Papa John, that's not a bear. That's a lion. Okay, it's a lion. He saw a lion and he drew what he thought was a lion. <clears throat> and he's the only one that has the legal authority and the right to name what he drew, what he created. God made you, and he's the only one that has the legal authority to identify who you are. Even your mama doesn't have the right to call you who you're supposed to be. Your daddy, your grandpappy, they have no legal authority to give you identity. Only your creator has the legal authority to give you an identity. But what is the devil doing? He's trying to redefine what a marriage is. 
what a man is, what a woman is. And now, we supposedly have 52 different genders. Hmm. God didn't get that memo. Now, I'll tell you how serious this is. I, I, I wrote this down just a couple of nights ago on a sticky note because I saw this. Only 48%. It's so important, I'm going to write it on the board. 48%, that's a big number. 48% of our young people, 18 to 30 years of, of age, only 48% of 18 to 30 year olds believe that there are only two genders. Now let me rock your boat a little more. That's of Christian kids. Let me draw another number. Let's even a bigger number. This 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 is really scary. Hey, if Rick Renner can do this, I can do this. That's a mega number. I've done over 500 youth camps in my 40 plus years, done over 250 public school assemblies. I believe in young people. I put my money where my mouth is. This costs us hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that. But I believe in young people. I still believe in young people. I still do stuff for young people. But 88% of our full gospel young people, that's full gospel young people, spirit-filled young people, 88%, this is our camp. 88% lose their Christian testimony in their first year of university or college. 88%. In other words, they go, they backslide. 88%. The devil's winning. I said the devil's winning. Yeah. Over 50% of all Christian marriages end in divorce. The devil's winning. Yeah. Why? Amen. Because we've failed to block and tackle. Because it's not glamorous. Yeah. It's not glamorous to, to walk in the fundamentals. It's not sexy. No, nobody shows up with cameras and, and nobody, nobody commends you. Wow, that's the greatest tackle I've ever seen while you're in practice. There's no TV cameras in the OTAs. There's no TV cameras at two-a-days, which is never uh, accurate. There's no such thing as a two-a-day. It's all day. Six at morning, six at night. Sometimes you don't get off at six at night. You don't leave the building. You don't leave the fields. But nobody shows up in the off-season while you're training and, and building your repertoire of fundamentals. Nobody shows up. Why? Because it doesn't fill stadiums. It doesn't score points. It doesn't pay the salaries. But if you don't do that, if you don't practice that, when it comes time when the lights do come on, you lay a goose egg. This is true 
of us as believers. You see, what you do in private will always be revealed in public. Amen. So it's critical that we as believers practice the fundamentals. What is that? Our identity. I must chase and find out who I am in Christ. Why is this so significant? Let me, let me just show you something again up here that, that I believe will help you. It'll, it'll give you an understanding. Why is the devil doing this? Well, remember reading about uh, the 70 disciples in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sent them out into the highways, the villages, and he, told, he gave them a commandment. Go heal the sick and what? Cast out devils. Wonder how many Baptist churches are teaching that. Huh? But yet, that's a part of the Great Commission. We're supposed to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We're supposed to cast out devils. Come on. That's the first thing mentioned in the, in, in the Great Commission, cast out devils. Most Christians are afraid of devils. I was speaking to 3,500 spirit-filled teenagers and leaders at ORU Christ Chapel back in the 90s. Filled up the, the building on the floor and the balcony was 100% full and even had to bring in chairs. And at the end of my message, I turned it back after the invitation. I turned it back to the, to the host, and he turned it back to the worship leader. And as soon as I got back down on the front row, this blood-curdling scream came from the upper balcony across from me. If you're on the stage, it's the top left. And this girl... In that service, there were three girls that did this. I don't think you can build a doctrine out of that. That it's just girls. It's not. But that girl let forth a blood-curdling scream, and everybody looked up there, and it looked like the Red Sea parting. Students and pastors and leaders fled that area. They jumped over all those theater seats and they got out of her way because they were thought that, that you know, she might do something radical. And there were some men that, that tried to grab her and they almost, she almost threw them off of the balcony 30 feet down. And so the leader of the meeting leaned over to me. He said, John, can you go take care of that? I said, sure. <laughs> so I'm walking up, and we all had suits and ties on. I had a brand new suit on, brand new shoes. We had suits and ties on at that time, and I, I'm, I'm going out right up the, the, the aisle, and you have to go out these great big 10-foot big oak doors out of the Christ Chapel, and then the, the stairway, where the, there's a double stairway that goes up out in the lobby, in the foyer, and so I run up the stairway. I was already sweaty from preaching like right now, but I mean, I was dripping. <clears throat> but, but so I'm, I'm running up there, and these guys are trying to manhandle her. Here's our problem. Here's our problem in the church. It's always been the problem. We're trying to fight spiritual battles with natural weapons. 
You can't bitch press the devil out of your life. You can't reason with the devil. You can't outsmart and outthink the devil. He's crafty, the Bible says. He's cunning. He's crafty. He, he has great experience with humanoids. So I said, put her down. Stop it. Let her alone. They put her down. And I knew the pastor from Fort Smith and the youth pastor, they were up there and they were trying to do something about this. And I, I, I asked the youth pastor, I said, what's her name? Her name was Teresa. And I walked over to Teresa, just as calm as all get out. I sat down in that theater seat right next to her. And everybody's watching. Everybody's looking. And so I stood up when I saw that, and as long as everybody's attention is on the devil, he likes to show off. So I yelled down to the worship leader. I could call his name. He's in heaven now. But, but I said, worship God. But what they're all doing is, Devil doesn't understand tongues. You don't speak in tongues of the devil. The Bible says we speak unto God when we speak in tongues. Come on. We're not speaking to men or angels or God. We're speaking unto, excuse me, or the devil's unto man. We're speaking unto God. And he didn't hear me. I said, be quiet. I'm yelling this from the balcony at ORU Christ Chapel. Because that leader told me to take charge. I didn't want to have to do that. But nothing was going to happen unless I did. I said, worship God. Turn around and worship God. Get your eyes on Jesus. So I went back and sat down next to her, and I said, Teresa, take my hand. And she growled at me. I said, I'm not talking to you, you stupid, foul spirit. I'm talking to Teresa, so shut up. We're just too polite to the devil. I've heard, I've heard pastors call him Mr. Devil. What? Say what? You need to run your face into this as fast as you can. You need to slap that stupid off of you. Mr. Devil. You tell the devil where to get off. He's under your feet. You don't pull him up here and honor him. You tell him where to go. Shut up. So Teresa, take my hand. She took my hand. And we just walked out. You know, because we're, we're, we're two rows from the edge of the balcony. I, I didn't want to do this at the balcony. So I, she took my hand. We walked up this flight of stairs up to the back. And I told all those young people and all those leaders, get back in your seat worship God. Get your eyes off of this. And they did. I took her back around the corner and her pastor and her youth pastor were there and the, the devil just came out of her, her just like that. I go back down the outside stairs in the lobby and there's this big 
these big doors open up and I hear this screaming on the other side. And all week there's been this big kid from Owasso strutting his stuff. He just signed a letter of intent to play for the Oklahoma Sooners. So he has his OU shirt on that's two sizes too small. He's got it rolled up over here, showing off his biceps, and he's just strutting around, got his little, got his little entourage following him around. And he comes out through those doors as I'm about to open one of those doors, and he's in my face running. He's about 315. Now, I was a strong safety in high school and college. And when I see a big lineman running at me, I have a natural reaction. Because <laughs> I didn't know what was on the other side. I just heard this screaming like a girl. And it's this big football player screaming like a girl. And I hit him right in the chest and stopped him. I said, what are you doing? He said, you catch the devil out of that girl upstairs and it got on another girl down here and it might get on me. So all of your bench press and all of your education ain't going to keep a devil out of your house. You've got to know who you are in Christ, somebody. You've got to know your authority and your rights and your privileges. You've got to know who you are. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're more than a conqueror. You have more authority. There are more with us than there are with them. So here they come with a 13-year-old girl. Upstairs was an 18-year-old girl. Now they're coming a 13-year-old girl from Guyman, Oklahoma, from a church that I know well. Preached there many, many times, over 25 times. Pastor's good friend of mine, the, 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 uh, the son was the youth minister. Now he pastors in Enid. And here's this girl. And there's six men carrying this 13-year-old petite little girl. And they can't handle her. Because they're trying to manhandle her. I said, lay her down. What's her name? Her name is Jackie. J-A-C-Q-U-I. Never forgot it. I start ministering to her. I asked for a nurse because she, there was trauma on her body. And I, I asked for that nurse. And that nurse had her hand on Jackie's belly the whole time, never left contact with her stomach. Her other hand was on her pulse, because I wanted want to know, I had EMT training in college, and I, I wanted to know what her pulse rate was, I just monitor her, her physical condition. Again, I don't know who she is at the time, they just told me she was Jackie, didn't tell me where she was, where she was from, didn't tell me how old she was, any of that. So I'm just surmising all this. So you're, you, you, you know, you got to be wise. You got to use wisdom. You just don't jump into things and start casting. That's why the Jesus said, don't lay hands on any man suddenly. Just don't jump into something by assumptions. Use wisdom. So that's why I asked for a nurse. And so I'm not going to deal with this, you know, in the natural, but if I have to, we're going to do it in the natural. If we need to take her to the ER, we're going to take her to the ER. 
He can still deal with her in ER. I said, do you need to call, go back and ask for her pastor and her youth pastor? Get him out here. And the pastor wasn't there that night, but the youth pastor came. I said, I know you. But the enemy, again, he's trying to show off. And while that nurse's hand is on her belly, never left contact, out of the side of my, and her eyes were just clenched all the way shut. I've never seen anything like it before or since. I'm seeing this with my peripheral vision as I'm down there on, the, on my all fours speaking into her ears and out of my peripheral vision on the left, I see that nurse's hand going like this and it never left contact with her belly. So the devil, that demon is punching her from within. It wasn't gas. Gas doesn't make you bloat like that. It's bumping. Come on. It was a demon. I said, devil, you let her go. You loose her and let her go. And he growled at me in a man's voice through that 13-year-old girl. They don't teach you this in Bible school. Then, I've been in South America, I've been in the jungles, I've been in Guatemala, I've been in Nicaragua, I've been in El Salvador, I've been in Panama, I've been in Costa Rica. I've never seen this before or since. He levitated her off the floor with only her heels remaining on the floor. It was an exorcist moment. Pastor Greg, there were six or eight pastors that had gathered there in the lobby. And when that demon levitated her off the floor, they scattered seven different ways, screaming and to torment and tongues. See, the devil's trying to intimidate us. to bring fear into our lives. I believe with all my heart, we're living in a Mark 4 moment where Jesus said, we're going to the other side. King James says, let us pass over to the other side. Jews don't talk like that. Come on. First of all, Jews can't talk with their hands tied behind their backs. All the Mediterranean nations, all of them, every one of them, man, they're demonstrative, they're like this, and you think they're in a fight because they're raising their voice and they're yelling at each other? They're talking about the weather. <laughs> I'm serious. North Africa, Middle East, Southern Europe, all of them are like that. That's why I know my wife must have some Italian in her because she just talks like this all the time about her hairstyle. My daughter's the same way. But Jesus said, we're going to the other side. You look it up in the, in the Greek. We're going to the other side. 
He, it's a commandment. It's not an option. He didn't say, hey, let's pray about, hey, boys, you want to go for a boat ride? No, 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 no. How, how about an evening cruise on the Sea of Galilee? No, no, no. No, we're going to the other side. Why? Because he knows in his heart he has spiritual business on the other side. He doesn't even know what. He didn't tell him, hey, we're gonna, when we get over there, we're going to find a naked man running through the graveyards. Well, that's what they found. I'm going to cast out a legion of devils into a bunch of pigs. Have you ever thought about why those Jews over there, the Gadarenes, had pigs? Huh? Think about it. They're Jews. Why they got pigs? Well, they would need some Hormel. No. No. They're rebels. There's rebels in every camp. There's rebels in the church. There's rebels in every group. It's not just mean Baptists and Methodists. There's some mean Pentecostals. There's some, there's some mean word people. There's some mean charismatics. Don't look around. Look straight ahead. <laughs> rebels. They were rebels. That's why they had pigs. Remember when Jesus, cast, he cast that legion of demons out of him and the man got cleaned up and was in his right mind sitting there around the fire talking about stories about a deliverance, et cetera, et cetera. And people from far and wide came and heard of it and they, they came, right? That's what it says. Now that's Mark 5. But then it says, then they prayed that Jesus would leave their coast. Say what? 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 You want him to leave now? He, he just performed this incredible miracle. He cast out a whole legion of devils, thousands of devils into a herd of pigs. And then they did a, the swine cliff diving contest off the edge. I mean, you think Jesus is boring. You're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. <laughs> We just read right over this stuff all the time. No, no, this is real stuff. This is historical. And they came and they prayed that he would leave. Why? I asked the Lord, why, why? Why, because it doesn't say why. Why? This is what he said. And then you can see it. They're more comfortable with evil spirits than they are with the Holy Spirit. That's the same way a lot of churches are today. They're more comfortable with evil spirits. Do you have any idea what kind of evil spirits operate in these rock and country musicians? Huh? Oh, it's just the hip hoppers. It's the rapper artists. No. No. And now, now we got all these churches inviting that ghetto music into their churches. I grew, up at, I grew up ghetto. You don't want the spirit that comes with that. I don't care what words they, that they changed. It's a spirit. It's an attitude. And you got to take all these selfies. That's a problem. Selfie right there. It's a selfie. How many selfies do you need to feel good about your selfie? 
I've had staff members posting selfies all day, every day. That's a half, you got a part-time job just posting your pictures. What are you doing? Uh, former staff members, I should say. All consumed with this stuff about self. But now we're taking these pictures and we got all these signs going and this attitude. You got the wrong identity, Junior. We got the wrong identity if we're letting our culture consume us. We got the wrong identity if we're letting everything else in our culture consume us any other than Christ. He is, is the only one that has the legal authority to give us an identity. My football buddies don't have the right to give me an identity. My pickup buddies don't have a right to give me an identity. Motorcycle buddies don't have the right to give you an identity. Come on, somebody. All the fashionistas with the hair, the makeup, and the clothing. I'll get to the women in a minute. They don't have the right to give you an identity. Jesus is the only one that died for us. He's the only one that has skin in the game. Most of his skin was in the game, I should say. Most of his blood, all of his blood was in the game. Nobody else has done that for me. So nobody else has the authority to give me an identity. Now I've got to close. You can see that this is a seminar. It's not a one service thing. Jesus told the disciples, we're going to the other side. What did he do? He went in the back of the boat and went to sleep. Why? Because he's the picture of faith. In other words, his entire expectation is to wake up on the other side. Right? He didn't say, now fellas, let's, let's, let's pray and let's have a prayer meeting. Let's pray for traveling safeties and mercies. Hallelujah. Did he do that? No. See, we, even in our circles, we've gotten religious. Hello? I don't pray for safety. I've been five million miles on airplanes. I don't pray for safety. Because safety belongs to me already. You said it earlier. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus didn't pray for a safe boat trip across the water. So why are you fasting and praying about your trip? Now I speak over it. I claim what's rightfully mine. I say thank you, Lord, for what I have. Thank you for a safe takeoff flight and landing. Thank you for when I arrive. I claim what rental car I want. I get it. I claim what belongs to me already. 
I don't ask God for it. I already have it. He's given his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Why do we sing songs? Y'all don't, but I know a lot of other people do. Never leave me, never let me go. Again, run hard into this. Some people might need this to run into. Because, it, because it's religion, because we've sang it so many times before, and because you know all these new songs are from these new groups, and this, this group, and that group, and this group, and that group. Wait a minute, we need to actually read it and see if it is scriptural. I don't care what the tune is. If you have to change the words, change the words, but you know, give credit to where credit's due. But it's critical that we as the church walk in who we are in Christ. So the storm rises up. The wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full, it says. Full of what? Water. It's going to sink. If Jesus wasn't on their boat, they would have all drowned. Jesus had a, he had a flotation device. He had a pillow, so he's going to be okay. He doesn't need a flotation device, just for those that didn't know what I was saying. Watch this. If you read it carefully in Mark 4, it says, they, plural, awakened him. They, not Peter, James, and John, all 12 disciples went to wake him up. Why? Because they're in torment. Why are they in torment? Because they're in fear. The Bible says fear hath torment. They're in such torment that fear has gripped their hearts and they're waking Jesus up. And remember, you know, King James says, Master, carest thou not that we perish? You really think Jesus said that? Carest thou not? Remember, this is Elizabethan English. Prim and proper Brits. Excuse me, Jesus, wake up. Jesus. Jesus. Hey, come on, everybody. Jesus! How can you be sleeping in the midst of this? We're about to die. The word care identifies where they were. Don't you love us? The reason they were in torments because they were in fear. The reason they were in fear is because they were not in love. Perfect love casts out all what? And fear has torment. That's exactly why the kids are screaming at Walmart or at research. They're in torment. They're not just mad because they didn't get a toy. They're hurt because they didn't get a toy because they're questioning the love of their family that would not buy them what they want. Don't you love me? Some of those kids, are they've been screaming so long, they're hoarse. And their moms are just... 
she's the only one that's not aware of what's going on in the whole place. Everybody across the store, outside of the parking lot is aware of your kid freaking out. It's not the child's fault, folks. Quit blaming the children. It's the parents. No extra charge for that. Anyway. The reason the disciples were in torment and in fear because they were questioning his love that you would put us out here in the middle of this lake and the sea knowing that it's treacherous at night when the storms come up. And people still today, Pastor Greg, you know this and that's why I said earlier we have job security. People still in the church question the love of God. Why would God put this on me? Why would God allow this cancer? Why would God allow these tornadoes? Why would God allow these school shootings? That's the first thing people say when they put a microphone and a camera in their face. I don't know why God would allow this, but he must have a purpose. They've never read their New Testament, have they? Where Jesus said, say Jesus said. The thief cometh not but for to steal and, not or, and to kill and to destroy. He doesn't do one out of three. He does all three. That's why Paul said, never give any place to the devil. Why? Because if you do, he's gonna come in room number one and steal and kill and destroy. Then he's gonna go after your wife and steal and kill and destroy. Then he's gonna go after your chillings, steal and kill and destroy. That's why as men, we need to be the spiritual heads of our household. We need to be the leaders of our house spiritually. And we don't let the devil in the door. My rodeo cowboy dad is not only in the Texas Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame, he's in the Pro Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs. He's in the National Cowboy Hall of Fame in Oklahoma City. He's in Cowboy Hall of Fames all over America where he's won rodeos. My dad was a Marine in Korea. He was a Division I football player before he went to Korean War. My dad's this tough guy from the Panhandle of Texas. My dad was in all kinds of uh, uh, cowboy movies with uh, Audie Murphy and Ben Johnson and the most famous uh, movie was uh, you know, Buck Taylor of, of Gunsmoke. The most famous movie is in McClintock with John Wayne because he was a cowboy and he played a cowboy and an Indian in the same movie oftentimes because he had some Cherokee blood in him and so they just put a wig on him and he looked Cherokee. (laughs) But my dad's not in the husband hall of fame or the dad hall of fame or the spiritual hall of fame. And my dad died 11 years ago of 10 years of Alzheimer's and the biggest thing left on his body, this big brute athletic guy The biggest thing left on his body was his head, and it was even shrunken. You see, being a tough guy, being rodeo cowboy, being Marine, being the Hall of Fame and rodeos, doesn't give you any authority over the devil. Come on, somebody. Men, we need to be real men. And real men chase after Jesus Christ. Real men are not wishy-washy. Real men are not wussies. Real men are strong. 
We've, we've developed this mentality. Religion has gotten it all wrong. Michelangelo got it all wrong. P- painting these pictures of this broken Jesus. Sad, defeated, hanging on the cross. He's a champion! He's not defeated. He's victorious. Wrong mentality. And so that attitude has crept into the church and has destroyed people's lives. Now let me write one more thing on the board and I'll quit. I'm already way over time. I said it earlier, but the devil tried to defeat God in heaven, but it says there in Luke 10, when the disciples came back after casting out devils, they said, Jesus, even the devils were subject unto us by your name. And Jesus said, really? No, he didn't say that. He said, fellas, I beheld Satan fall from from heaven like lightning. In other words, he's saying, I was there when he got the boot out of heaven. So it didn't work. The devil could not directly come at God and defeat him. So what's he doing? He's trying to go through his creation. He's trying to indirectly steal and kill and destroy from us. So he attacks the home. The ordination of God that God blessed, the home, the home. The Bible says in Genesis, the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter two, that a home is a man and a woman. The word woman means of man. If the National Organization of Women ever figured that out, they'd change their name. National organization of men is really what woman means. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, baby. (laughs) Wrong direction. Now listen. The enemy is attacking our homes. He's trying to take the head out, and he's tried to steal and kill and destroy from our children through famines and pestilence. Suicides, violence, drugs, substance abuse. Now, listen to me carefully. I live in Texas, a border state, and 2.3 million people came across the border illegally, plus over a million gotaways in fiscal 2022. They just released the data. Supposed to release it in July because the end of the end of June was the fiscal the end of the fiscal year, but they hid it until it had to be exposed through legal documents. They were sued to release that information. Why? Because this world and this nation's government is broken. That's why it's important to pray and vote in the right people. But don't just pray about your vote. Pray about everybody's vote. I just came from Pennsylvania. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? They're trying to attack Herschel Walker in Georgia. They're making up stuff about him. Now, this is not a political rally, but I still approve this message. It's a truth rally. It's a Bible rally. They're trying to steal and kill and destroy, and the enemy's tried to what? Redefine what a home is. Now, in some states, it's legal for them to take your three-year-old, your four-year-old, your five-year-old and change 
their gender physicalities. Mutilate them. I'm not making this up. And they don't have to have the permission of the parents. That's demonic. That's why we need a revolution of righteous men. On the way here, I drove over 40 minutes. There's pickups parked all along fence rows, fence lines, all the way out here. Men going to get their buck. I'm going to get my buck. Now I hunt, I fish. But I'm not going to substitute. I don't care when hunting season started. I'm not going to substitute that for my walk with God. Because that buck is not going to cast any devils out. Hello? You can't use that rack to defend yourself against the devil. Hello? You can't use your bow or your, or your muzzleload weapon to shoot at the devil. So what happened Because the devil was unsuccessful at going directly to God, now he's going indirectly to God at God's creation. The second entity, this is the entity of authority. The second entity is the church. What's he trying to do? He's trying to redefine the church. The next one is government. He has already redefined government. It's not what our founders envisioned. Now let me just say this about these and I'll quit. The Lord woke me up on February 13th, 2020, and he said, sinister plot. And I said, Lord, what does that mean? I know what the word sinister means. So he started taking me to some scriptures. On February 13th, 2020, I'm not thinking about COVID, and most people aren't, because no COVID deaths until end of March. I'm thinking about O-N-G, I don't have my wife something for Valentine's Day yet. It's the next day. Pastor Greg, I looked up the scripture in Corinthians that says, and we being not ignorant of Satan's devices. Looked it up in the Greek dictionary. It uses the word sinister. I said, okay, Lord, who's this sinister plot against? Number one, the church. Number two, the USA, even though it's going to affect the whole world, but what affects the USA affects the whole world. Number three, it's against Donald J. Trump. The only world leader that was removed during COVID. On purpose, they used it, they weaponized it against him. Anyway, that's not my point today. I want to focus on this one. So I said, what about the church, Lord? What about the church? That's my business. That's me. I'm the church. You're the church. How's he going to do this? What's it about? He said he wants to attack the church and shut the church down to shut the church up. Now watch this. I posted all this on social media, so I'm not making this up after the fact. This is not 2020 hindsight. March 1st, 
March 1st of 20. There were 256,000 evangelical churches in the United States of America. Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching churches, 256,000. On March 1st, 2022, this year, two years later, there are 155,000. We lost 101,000 churches for the first time in history, all of history. Now, I didn't need that stat to believe what the Lord told me in February 13, 2020, that it's against the church. But those numbers prove it was against the church. To shut the voice of the church, the voice of authority, the voice of reason, the voice of God down in our country. This is our country. This is no other country. And it's never happened before or since in history. Why is that? Because most of the church was in fear. Most of the church were the fear, fearful disciples when Jesus said to them, after he stopped the storm, Notice if you looked at that, that, that chapter, he arose, he rebuked the wind and spoke to the sea. Peace, be still. Not peace, 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 peace. See how sissified we become? You that are products of the 60s and 70s, you know what peace meant. It meant drugs and stupid stuff. It meant rebellion. And that's what it really means today. Just like Isaiah said, in the last days, people will turn away from the things of God and they'll say that good is evil and evil is good. That's where we are. So when they say peace and freedom, they mean something totally different than what the Bible teaches. Now watch this. He spoke to the storm. He spoke to the wind, and it ceased. But he wasn't finished rebuking. He turned to his disciples and said, King James, why are you so fearful? Which means, why are you so full of fear? The God's Word translation says, this is more accurate, why are you such cowards? How is it that you have no faith yet? Now I give the disciples a little bit of a pass because that was just Mark 4, not Mark 24. It was early and, and they're following him. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't even have a new birth yet. They didn't have an infilling of the Holy Spirit. But in 2022, what do you think Jesus would say to today's church? What are we doing? What are we doing? If you think COVID was the worst thing, 
You ain't seen nothing yet. The church needs to stop being fearful. We need to start being filled with faith. And your pastor is an outstanding teacher of that topic and subject and walks by it. They just didn't learn it at Bible school. They walk, live by it. Now listen. This is not optional. We're going to be judged by this. But are we obeying the word and are we obeying the Holy Spirit? This is not optional. We need to start living by this. I left the projects a long time ago when I got saved in 1969. I not only left the projects physically, but mentally and most importantly, spiritually. My children have never tasted poverty. They've never had spam. They've never had Vienna sausage. If you like it, number one, you can't read. It's not choice cuts. It's parts. And I've been in the I've been in the factory. I've been in the slaughterhouse. That's where you need a mask. You need a respirator in there. And you need some goggles. I'm not joking. The reason maybe you like spam so much is because you like ketchup and barbecue sauce. Vienna sausage is worse. It's compressed part. But it tastes so good. It's tasteless and you know it. <laughs> you just added a bunch of stuff on it. Now watch this. We're the church. God never intended the church to live like the world. We can't win the world by being like the world. The world needs the church to be the church. We need to be the deterrent to what's going on in the earth today. We need to lift our voice, not only to heaven, but our voice in our communities. I lifted my voice on an airplane before we left the ground in Milwaukee a few weeks ago on the way to Charlotte, which I was flying to Pittsburgh. But a guy got on the plane next to me. It was a full plane and he started he was already talking on his earbud with a friend and he was using vulgar, R-rated, X-rated language and he was loud. And the lady that was on the window, she was trying to get out of the window. She was so intimidated by this bully. Well, I'm not intimidated by bullies because I grew up in the projects and I know who's on the inside of me. So I thought for a moment, Lord, He needs to stop this or I'm going to. I'm not riding two and a half hours with this. And it calmed down a moment and then he went right after it. And I mean everybody on the plane can hear it. Not everybody's loaded yet. But I got up on the edge of my seat. I said, excuse me, let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt your phone call. Yeah, what do you want? I said, do you have any other vocabulary you can perhaps use? 
He said, this is a private call. I said, no, it's not. You're spewing that trash and that toilet mouth all over this aircraft in our airspace. Nobody paid several hundred dollars to listen to you. And he said, F ye. I went to the bathroom. I put some cold water on my throat. Hallelujah. Okay, Lord. All right. Shonda. Who stole my Honda? I mean, I'm... I came out of the lab and a a fraud of a man, flight attendant, said to me, is there a problem up in row 24? I said, why do you ask? Well, I can hear it from back here. I said, there will only be a problem if he continues spewing this garbage. And if your airline doesn't do anything about it, because I'm perfectly willing, able, and ready to do something about it myself. (laughs) Oh. He stepped back. Oh. I went back to my seat. He's still going at it. He's worse. And I stood at his feet in front of him. We're at the exit row. That's why I'm back at row 24. I mean, it's, it's from the, the seat in front of me is all the way to the front row here. So I got down at his feet. I said, excuse me, let me interrupt you another second. What do you want? I said, uh, and I've been polite up to now. I said, um, Like I said, you're spewing this into our airspace and we didn't pay money to hear you do this. I said, these people are intimidated by you? I'm not. See, I grew up in the projects. I know what bullies look like. It's amazing to me. We have these anti-bullying campaigns. You know what an anti-bullying campaign was in the projects? When Israel gets a real woke prime minister, they negotiate with the Palestinians. They put up with all this attack and all these uh, uh, slaughters. But when they have a conservative in there, they fight back and it shuts them down. I got all kinds of stories. But anyway, I said, sir, you're violating our airspace. What if I violated your feet space by spitting at, not on, at your feet. He said, I'd get up and knock the blankety blank out of you. And he said, I'm about to do it now. Now everybody's witnessing this. Well, you just turn the other cheek. Is that what you're going to do when they break in your house in the middle of the night? When they assault your daughter, they assault your children, they assault you. Come on, somebody. Is that what you're going to do? See, that's the problem. We stopped having deterrence. 
The, 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 the silent majority has been silent too long. We need to rise up and use our voice. Now, I, I didn't pick this fight. I'm telling you verbatim. And when he said that to me, you should have heard the groans. Oh. That wasn't my response. My response was, not today, not tomorrow. I hope you brought a lunch and a bunch of friends because it ain't happening. He's bigger than me, but I don't care. There are more with me than are with them. We as the church of Jesus Christ have laid down and put up with too much garbage for too long and we don't use our voice. My senators and my congressmen, they know who I am. They know my face, they know my name, they know what I'm gonna say to them before I even say it. You need to stand up for this as my representative. You're not there on your own accord. You're there because we voted for you and we put you in office and this is a representative republic, not a democracy where mob rules. You're there representing me. And this is what I and our, our people want done. And I don't say it mean, I don't say it ugly. I say it firm. Well, he stood up. And he found out I meant business. And you understand why I'm even sitting there, I'm having to ready my brain. What if this guy goes off on me? I had to be ready. So I, I, I did a little stretching in the lavatory. Thankfully, a female flight attendant saved his bacon. She came down immediately when she saw him stand up because the guy in the back already uh, phoned them. She said, sir, do you, do you have a problem to him? He said, I ain't got no blankety blank problem. He's my problem. And I just smiled. She knew better. And this is what he said. He got right in her face. She was about this tall, little petite blonde lady, probably in her 40s, and he pointed at her face, and he said, all I said was MF and this to my friend on the phone, and that's just freedom of speech. She said, well, I'll call the captain and see if it's freedom of speech on his aircraft. <laughs> she called the captain. And before the captain even responded, a supervisor came off, plain closed, and said, Sir, do you, have, do you have a bag in the overhead? And he started cussing again really loud. Blankety blank, blank, you got me kicked off. I said, I didn't get you anything. Your mouth and your attitude got you kicked off. Yeah. See, oftentimes we run across the other side of the supermarket because we hear this noise instead of standing up to it. We alter our lives to allow stupidity. When it used to be, the world did all this in private, and now they use SHIT and MF in public, just like normal language. Because the church has approved of that. The church has allowed it. Just like Francis Schaeffer said, in front of every abortion clinic, there should be a sign, here by permission of the church. 
because the church has been silent. We need to stop being silent. I don't mean we pick a fight, but the fight is on. And if you're not willing to stand up to it, that means you're already captured. Who would take a stand with me today in this point? Who would say, I'm gonna be like Jesus and I'm gonna find my identity in the word just like he did? Who would, who would take a stand with me about that? Because that's where he found his identity. He read the book of Isaiah and it was describing him to a T. It was very specific. That's why the, the synagogues don't read Isaiah 59, 60, 61, 62 anymore because it describes Jesus exactly. They have daily readings in their synagogues, but they don't read that. Let's get in our word and let's find out who we are. And it's primarily in the epistles, which I used to think was the apostles' wives, but it's, it's, it's the letters written to the churches. So let's follow what the head of the church wants us to follow. Has this helped anybody today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this congregation, for what they've been taught, who they are, and the dominion that comes with it. And I pray in Jesus' name that there's anyone within the sound of my voice, either personally here, or by video, or recording, or streaming, if there's a person that doesn't know you in a personal way, I pray, Lord, that they come home where they belong today. I'm gonna to ask everyone to pray this prayer out loud, even those watching by screen. Let's pray this out loud, make it personal. Mean it in your own heart, say it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that you love me with an everlasting love. You sent your son Jesus, your best gift, to pay the penalty for my sin. For it was my sin that put him on the cross because he never sinned. I ask you to forgive me. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. And I confess Jesus as my Lord. And according to Romans chapter 10, I'm now saved. Help me be the Christian. Help me be the Christ follower that you intend me to be. Help me gain your identity and who I am in you. In Jesus' name. Now give him a shout of praise as pastor comes. Would you do that? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, before we close out, we want to give you an opportunity to give towards this ministry that's uh, transforming lives all over the world. And so you can do the ways to give. You've got envelopes on the seat back. You've got text to give. We'll make sure that 100% of what you give goes to this ministry. Amen. How many have been blessed today? I encourage you. Amen. I encourage you to look at the materials, buy the materials off the table. They'll be a great blessing to you. So I'm going to pray. We're going to take up the offering, and then I'm going to sing a song, and, uh, and then we'll... Man, I still get, I get mileage from that. I really do. I get a lot of mileage from that joke. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you for the ministry gift that's been before us, and we show our gratitude by giving, not to a man, but to a ministry, to a gift, Father, in the name of Jesus. And I just thank you that every seed sown will be returned back in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Go ahead and take that up, guys.
Amen. Looking forward to tonight. We're going to be at Glory Refuge Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we're going to be starting a uh, revival there for Pastor James Johnson. So I encourage you, if you're out that way, would like to come out. Uh, we'll be there Monday, uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And it's going to be a wonderful time. So we're going to be out there. You can look uh, on um, uh, Facebook, and you can find the address there. It's a wonderful time. Going to help reach people in that area, in that community. Amen? So look forward to it. All right, how we doing? All right, we moving? All right. All right, praise the Lord. Amen. Well, you guys are slower than usual. <laughs> God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.